Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host Jim Nettles and this week we're going to be talking on the publishing side of things and diving into part of that fun side, you know, working with agents and also what it's like to both be an agent and a writer with the one and only Lucien Diver. Thanks for hopping in this week. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoy uh, coming on these and I enjoy talking with you. So I'm looking forward to it. You want to give kind of a quick little bio intro, all that kind of good stuff? Sure. Come March 1st, I will be in the business 31 years, which I can't believe because I don't feel old enough for that. But it's true. And I have never lost my love for books. Um, if anything, I love them all the more, seeing how hard everyone works, which I never doubted for a minute. But uh, to me, books were just these magical things that took me away to another place, which I really sorely needed at times in my childhood. Um, I was in and out of the hospital a lot and um, going somewhere else was just amazing to me. So um, anyway, sorry, I got a little off the topic there, but 31 years in the business and I represent science fiction, fantasy, mystery, thrillers, suspense, romance, young adult, adult. Um, I just love books and my authors include uh, N.K. Jemison, Alyssa Cole, Kelly Armstrong, um, Christina Henry, Faith Hunter, Chloe Neal, Vaishnavi Patel, um, I could go on and on, but uh, I have a lot of diverse, wonderful, fabulous authors who I am in awe of. And then also I write for young adults and adults. I write the Vamp series, the Latter-day Olympian series, and then I write um, some young adult suspense as well. And in your spare time. Uh... <laughs> and in my spare time, I actually sing with a band. So there we go. Ah, well, uh, yeah, we got to round it out, right? Right, exactly. So one of the things that, that and, and in fact, I was in a chat on it today that I just elected to walk out of. I, I saw the notification pop up with a big question of what does an agent do and how do you get one? Let's start with the simple questions first, right? <laughs> uh, what doesn't an agent do? Um, I mean, my goodness. So um so let's start from submissions. So um, I'm close to submissions right now because of my full list. But um, first of all, we read submissions. We analyze um, whether we would like to work with an author, whether we think their work is marketable. Um, and then if we decide to take you on and you decide you want to work with us, we will work with you editorially. Most agents, not all agents are editorial agents, but most agents will work with you editorially to get your work in the best shape it can be before you even go out on submission. And what an agent brings to the table is the knowledge of the market, um, who is looking for the kind of fiction that you write, who has just bought the kind of thing that you write, um, who is the best editor for you and the best house for you as well, um, who are the editors to avoid maybe because of their response times or because they're just not going to be into this type of fiction. So they bring basically all this knowledge of the market, um, not just here, but increasingly um, we're talking world English. So um, I might be submitting here, but also to UK editors, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, once we get an editor interested or multiple editors interested and maybe get a bidding war even going, what we're doing is negotiating for you. And we bring also that knowledge. So what rights to reserve, um, what we can push on, not just the advance against royalties, which is the money that you get paid uh, before your book earns any money, but the, the royalties themselves and what rights like foreign, like translation rights, film and allied rights, um, uh, audio rights, although increasingly, uh, at least with the major houses, those are going to the publisher, um, but that kind of thing. And then, and then the contract language itself, which is different than just the rights, we're also getting into the contract language. Um, so we do all of that. And then the rights that we hold on to for the author, and I realize I'm talking New York speed. I always have to remind myself that and slow down. So the rights that we hold on to for the author 
we are also exploiting with our subagents. And we have, for instance, subagents all around the world that will sell our author's works in Germany and France and Japan and, and China and, and all over the world. And um, that is important because it's another income stream for the authors and it's also um, getting their their works out all, all over the world and getting them exposure. And then we work with film agents as well to um, get books developed for film or television or streaming or, or whatever we can do there. Um, but we also do a lot of handholding. We do a lot of chasing checks. We do a lot of, we do a lot of other things that I did not cover there. Well, usually when somebody asks me about working with an agent, how do you get an agent? What do you do? I'm like, usually, A, the first thing is finding somebody that you really can work with. And it, you know, it is work to to find that partnership with an agent. It's work to go. I mean, it's it's a ton of submissions. It's a ton of going through going through the motions. But I think the important things that I found in over the years are a the market knowledge, right? That knowledge of who's who's acquiring, who's not, what the trends are going on, uh, just just the general yeah. industry. The second thing is contracts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I deal with a lot. Of, not an attorney, but I deal with a lot of IP contracts and IP situations. And so looking at IP, even attorneys, I know the really good ones looking go, yeah, no, that is, that's an entirely different world. When you start talking about IP contracts, especially yeah. book contracts, rights, and all the rest of that. And so is there, is there kind of maybe something you can talk about with how you as an agent can help navigate and negotiate with contracts yeah like you said um contracts specifically publishing contracts are such a different thing um i've seen contracts after a lawyer you know a, an author has maybe hired a lawyer to do it and unless they've hired a lawyer that um specifically works with publishing contracts that lawyer had no idea what to do because publishing contracts are a law unto themselves and they would change things that didn't need to be changed and not necessarily even for the better and then didn't touch things that were really important um, because it, it, they're just a law into themselves. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important to get a literary agent, especially because the major houses won't even accept submissions. I mean, if you're going the traditional route and that's not the only route available, but it's important to get a literary agent, but also um, we will have previously worked out a boilerplate with the, different publishing houses they have their own boilerplate but then we will have gone through that contract and dealt with the language previously and so when they do a contract with our agency they will use our boilerplate which has already dealt with um uh issues we'll already have haggled out language um based on the issues that we saw in the contract um and um either compromised on or they all agreed or, you know, but we'll, we'll have haggled out a, an entirely different boilerplate than will have been given just based on their standard. Um, because uh, if they draw it up, it's obviously going to be in their favor. Whereas if somebody negotiates it, um, it's going to be more of a give and take. Well, and even, even most publishers, when they make an offer to a new writer, will say, get an agent. They'll, they'll even suggest you get an agent. And that's usually the best thing. Even if you do sell something on your own, um, it's recommended to say, I'm talking to a few agents. Um, can you just hold on? Uh, let me see where we are and I'll get back to you and not accept terms, not accept anything until you've talked to an agent. And this is this is one of those things that I've dealt with on a number of fronts, right? You get excited because if, if you get somebody acquired, whether it's acquired by an agent, acquired by a publisher, there's that, oh my God, I've been acquired. I've sold that piece of work. I've, you know, there's that excitement and trying to mitigate that down to the, is this the right deal for you? Are you getting the best deal you can as the IP creator? All that kind of stuff is, are, are things that I see a lot of. Um, and trying to respond and act in what is really your best interests long-term versus that fear about 
this is the only deal I'm ever going to get. Cause I've had people tell me that, you know, we, we've mm-hmm. all kind of been through part of that chain at some point. So what are you seeing industry wise as kind of the big changes in terms of how the houses are handling it? I mean, I, yeah, there's been a couple of bloodbaths in the last few years with editors, with mergers and publishing houses, with cutting heads, cutting titles, all that kind of stuff. So what are you seeing in terms of good and bad of, of where, you know, the major publishers are going? It's, um, that's a tough question. Um, there have been some really interesting developments recently, but the biggest issue that we're facing right now is AI language. Um, some publishers are including it in their contracts. Some are not, um, I've been dealing with um, holding up contracts and and um, arguing it, and um, I'll tell you that is the that is right now the big hot button, and um, where I think some are waiting to see where the copyright office comes down on that. They had extended the time for people to give um, arguments or or you know uh, put in um, input to December 3rd and they have not yet made a ruling that I'm aware of about really where they stand on on everything and I think some are sort of waiting to see on that there's been court cases um and um obviously where we all stand is that you need to put AI language in that says that um these works will not be used to train AI to um to uh, you you know reproduce or to to be able to do basically what the authors do to do, do works in that genre in that style um and that you won't license them to be used for that um that ai won't be used to to do um covers or uh, narration unless uh you know or translation rather unless directed by a human being obviously they can be used as tools but not um you know not as the full thing because we don't want to cut out the human element um, when it comes to artwork, uh, you know that kind of thing. These are these are some of the big hot buttons right now. Well, and that's actually one of the places I wanted to to go. So, I mean, talking about AI, because and again, I'm kind of on both sides of the topic, but ultimately, I view it as being a tool that has a lot of ethical issues based on how it's been trained. You know, it's. It's not necessarily a new tool, new platform, but the big problem and questions really are how they've been trained. There's already a ton of IP infringement. Um, you know, we've already seen OpenAI come out and make comments along the lines of, you know, un- unless we can go and pretty much scoop up anything we want, we can't train the engines appropriately. And so I, I've been in some conversations around that about both how to monitor for AI you know, in coming into publishers and coming into houses and trying to detect it. I'm like, the first thing you need to do is just read the first paragraph, right? Because the vast majority of stuff I've seen that was AI created, you can tell. You can tell the cadence, no matter what you say about, oh, do it in the language of, do it in the style of. If you are used to reading a lot of language, you're used to looking at things coming through, you can tell that it is basically generative language. Um, well, I I agree, um, but that's for now. We don't know yeah. where it's going. So A, that's for now. B, um, the court case with the, uh, you know, for instance, the New York Times court case, right. um, part of what they're saying is that entire paragraphs, entire sections of their articles and things like that have been spit out by, I believe it was OpenAI, yeah. um, and this is, these are articles that people have, I mean, first of all, I, I can stop right there and it would be wrong, but these are articles that people have spent months researching. These are investigative articles that people have, you know, poured their heart and soul and spent real, um, you know, time and effort and everything in, um, and then people can just swipe it, you know, um, or, or, or can just, just take it as it's just being spat out. Um, so I mean, it's not as innocent as, as first of all, you know, it, 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 no matter what, it's infringement. But second of all, it's just not as innocent as they're, as they're making it sound. Well, no, I agree entirely. And I mean, this is why I've 
done some of the things that I've done um, and have been involved in some of those things around the IP infringement. Some of my own stuff was what is involved in the infringement. Um, you know, so if, assuming they, they get around to a class action case, you know, I'm assuming at some point I can count on maybe getting a third of a cent check out of something somewhere some, at some point in time. I am what I'm the, the pieces I'm seeing and most wondering about, because again, there's the aspect of trying to protect the IP. I think the, the challenge is there from a creator standpoint. And, and I think this is an argument for using some of the larger publishing houses again, is you're going to get some degree of protection versus your indie work. That's going to be, you know, that that's just going to be a losing fight because you just don't have the resources to go chase and pursue it. Even as the courts come down. And this is, this is one of those things that I'm, you know, we're already seeing a lot of stuff arguing back and forth. I'm going to be curious to see what comes out in some of the cases like, you know, Chris Golden, Rich Cattery with Sarah Silverman. Um, we, you know, we know the case, the New York times case, there's a, the plethora of them that are just proliferating through the courts. Um, and the, the big challenge is, is I think going to be making any kind of decision about what infringements already occurred. Because yeah. I think that as we start getting things from the cases in to determine what fair use is, what about the other side of this with how, you know, I, I know again, cause this is some of the stuff I got pulled into the number of agents, publishers just being inundated with AI generated garbage. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, that, that is a huge thing too. And it's affecting authors. It's affecting, you know, authors who are writing their own original stuff because people are closing down for submissions. Um, because they just can't handle the the inundation. I mean, I'm hoping it'll stop because because it's so obvious. Because you know they're they're saying we will not take you know AI generated material. Um, but I mean, I think that the problem is, and and I don't know how whether it, uh, Amazon's gotten a better watchdog system now. But the problem is also that you can just self publish on Amazon, and um, I know. For a long, long time, um, people were self-publishing a lot of things on Amazon that were problematic. And my worry is all of these self-published things on Amazon um, that are also taking away, um, you know, there were a lot of things where they were, where people were um, using real authors' names or um, post or, you know, other things that were taking away visibility from real authors out there. So that's my other concern with the AI generated material is people doing that sort of thing and getting money for their AI generated material. Um, and so they're, they're messing with the reader, they're messing with real authors and I don't want readers to become suspicious of, you know, of, of books in that way either. So um, they're really harming the book business um, and 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 authors that are trying to make an actual living. Yeah, I mean, this is why I think we see people just flooding out of KU because pretty much it's it's been flooded with all of basically generated, uh, you know, generated uh, copy. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to generated garbage because, again, for the most part, people that I see that kind of material out there also haven't done anything else to even try to look at it improve it anything else like that and this is true of both fiction and non um and and because i write in both spaces it's one of those things that you have to look and see and ku is pretty much just being buried in it unless you already have a name and a reputation and I, this is one of the things that i've i've done a fair number of shows on or at least pretty much every interview i've done in the last year and a half is in some pay, in some way, shape, or form, we've touched on and talked about the impact of it to the business and where to go from here. Um, so, I didn't know if you had any thoughts where you think people are going from here, and any kind of guidance you can give to to maintain some degree of hope that no, all is not lost. <laughs> well, you know, I. I... I hope it all is not lost. I really don't. I think if we hold firm um, and we all insist on the AI clauses in the contracts, um, that uh, that hopefully all will not be lost. Um, I think I think certainly 
um, the big authors will have the clout to be able to make decision that, you know, no, I don't want my work to be used this way. And I, and they'll be able to choose to go anywhere. And if some publishers are doing it and some aren't, and they can choose, then um, I hopefully, hopefully that will make the decision easy for the, pub the publishers that aren't doing it, that they're going to have to, if they want to stay competitive, I'm hoping that that, and that is my hope. And that is the hope that I'm maintaining. Um, so, and yeah, I'm hoping that it will always be possible to tell the difference in AI. Um, but, but we will see. I think there are some publishers like Disney where we're going to have more difficulty. Sorry, I named the mouse. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see. But I, I do think that there is still a lot of hope out there because there are, um, you know, are incredible original authors that are, are seeing success every day. So let's focus on that, the, the good stuff. And they're seeing success every day. And um, they're just blowing me away with their creativity and their success. Like I can only handle what I can handle. And, and my authors are brilliant. So you should all go read my, my list and my authors. But also I see authors out there where I go, oh, oh, why didn't they come to me? I would love to represent that. But like I'm only one person. So I can't do it. So um, I just, you know, there's so much brilliance out there. There's so much. And, and that is phenomenal, you know. And and I that's that's what I focus on too is that is that as bad as it ever is there is still so much there's still more brilliant books being published than I can ever read in a year. Well, and I think that's that to me is the big hope is that between all the tiers of publishing and indie publishing and everything else, there's still a ton of great work coming out every day. Um, and uh, the hardest part is always going to be getting noticed, getting that breakout, making through to the next year, but there's plenty of people doing it every single day. And I want to say, I think the biggest way to do it is to support each other, um, not do, uh, what her name is escaping me, um, tried to do, which is sync all the other debuts to promote her own debut. Um, and, and she got what was coming to her there, but, um, but uh, I think that the best way to do it is to support each other and promote each other and to help, you know, help shout from the rooftops, give blurbs when you can, um, give support, show, you know, show others on your social media and have them show yours. I mean, it is hard to get noticed. It is hard. You, you know, I, I think somebody has to hear in this new modern age, you know, something like 10 or 14 times as opposed to the old seven so, you know, um, help each other out. If we lift each other up rather than push each other down, that is far better. Well, and I mean, for the number of authors I know, which is a fair number, you know, it, it for those people that work together and it's you build those friendships, you build those networks, you, you, you're able to create ways of sustaining each other. You know, that fear that you're never going to write enough to keep up with even a moderate reader, right? You can, mm -hmm. you can crank out a fair amount, but you're never going to, you know, you're never going to be the sole main line for any reader. And if you have that thought, you, you're kind of already hung up anyway. And that notion that creativity brings more creativity. And my biggest problem when, when you see people like that, that basically implode their career before they even get started, do a bunch of damage, not only to other authors, but also other readers, right? Because you get that sensation of, of all the sort of stuff going on. So you become less likely to even try new authors sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, and what a shame too. I mean, it's so hard to get discovered as a debut to get picked up as a debut. And she had all the chances and to, to do that with it. I mean, why, why? Well, I mean, we see at least once a quarter, somebody has done something stupid to blow up their, to blow themselves up to start with. I mean, unfortunately, that was not unique. Um, but so let's kind of jump back into to more of the fun stuff. So let's say that somebody is trying to go, trying to find an author or find an author, find an editor. Um, what should somebody be looking for when they're shopping for an editor, trying to figure out? and make those connections and try to find somebody that's a good fit for them. Now, do you mean editor or agent? 
Ag- agent, that word, agent. Okay. <laughs> Again, <laughs> sleep deprived at this point. It's been a week. <laughs> oh, I hear you. Um, so I would start with um, who are the authors you like and look up. Often you can find on their website who their agent is. But also for the time that you're querying, I really highly suggest subscribing to Publishers Marketplace. Um, they will have who's selling what to who. Um, so if you look up, you know, the category of, of fantasy and deals, um, usually you'll have to type in something. So if you just say series or, you know, something like that and fantasy and, and you know, deals, you'll, you'll find who's selling what to whom. Or you can look up top agents in fantasy and query the top, you know, whatever. But, um, but if you look up, you know, and, and get a feel for um, who's selling to the top people or, or who's selling the kind of series that you have or things like that. But at first, you're going to want to query wide because, um, because you're going to want to query wide. You don't uh, want to limit yourself because it may take a while to hear back. They may be busy. Um, but, but also, you're going to want to look at everybody's website guidelines. And a lot of those top agents or whatever may be closed to submissions. So it's going to probably take a while for you to build your list. So I would say from, from that, um, from Publishers Marketplace, build a list of as many as you can and then go look on their website and see whether they're open or closed to submissions. And if, if they're closed, see if there's another agent, maybe a younger agent at that agency that is open who also does fantasy or science fiction because they will um, have that other agent to lean on as as a source of knowledge. Um, And I'm sure they've done their own sales as well. But remember that they also, again, have that pool of knowledge and they they will undoubtedly help each other. So um, build your pool of agents and query widely. And um, often those guidelines, sometimes you'll have just an email to send it to. Sometimes you'll have a form to go through. And I know it can be a lot going through that for a whole bunch of agents, but um, it's what we need in order to make our decision and um, in order for you to get through our, you know, uh, spam filters, if, if you send it through email or whatever, it's just our best way to be able to keep track or to be able to um, weed out who's serious or, or red flags or whatever it is. That's just our process. And We've all had to go through that process. I'm a writer too. I've been through that process. Um, so every writer you know in the modern age has been through that process. So it is. it can be a lot, but that is the best way to do it that I'm aware of. Um, there are also other good sites like Query Tracker, things like that. Um, Jim, you probably know some good sites for finding agents better than I do. Um, there's also the, um, uh, the uh, AAR is now the um, AALA, which I believe is American Association of Literary Agents. And um, I'm not a member because Elaine Spencer at our agency is a member. So we already get all the mailings and everything that way. But um, but you can do searches through um, the AALA as well about, um, you know, who represents, you know, different genres and find out agents uh, who represent those genres. Um, so those are some good ways that you can that you can find agents that would represent your your kind of work. So what about predatory agents? Because um, I think we've all kind of come across some things. Are there things that you should be looking out for? You know, the first. Yes. Yeah. Yes. First thing is that the first rule of thumb, and I'm sure you've all heard this, is money flows toward the writer, does not flow from the writer. So there should not be a reading fee or an expedited reading fee or a contract fee. Um, you should also look out one of the big scams recently is people stealing agents identities and things like that. So any agent worth their salt is not sending out emails looking for business. We've got so much business coming to us, so many queries coming to us. We're not asking for more. Um, and we're also not asking you to get into a cooperative relationship with us where like we'll put in some money and you put in some money and no, 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 no. And then there's none of that. Okay. So um, the best thing you can do is be aware of CIFWA's Predators and Editors site. Um, so if you just Google CIFWA, which is Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, you Google CIFWA Predators and Editors, it'll take you to their, their page or Author Beware, 
um, sorry, author, author beware author site. Book. Yeah, sorry? Victoria's great. Yeah, Victoria Strauss keeps um, keeps up with scams and things like that. Um, she doesn't recommend um, uh, agents because she wants to maintain maintain neutrality, but she will tell you about the bad agents she knows out there or scams. But um, again, uh, some of the scams will steal agents' identities. I've had mine stolen. Um, other agents at my agency have had theirs stolen. I know Jenny Bent, um, somebody, uh, maybe one or two agents at Don Moss. I know other people have had theirs stolen. Um, but like I said, busy agents are not sending you letters asking you to submit or to do anything because we're too busy. So you should always be suspicious of anything like that. Yeah, and one of the things that, especially when we like teach the, the pitch and query class, uh, when we're doing that one, it is a lot about, about know who you're reaching out to and have that understanding that for everybody who is, for everyone you're submitting, that you guys are getting dozens, hundreds of submissions a day, um, you know, into an agency. So it's one of those things of there's a lot to filter through. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, I I don't know how much it is anymore because I've been closed for a while, but I closed for, I mean, I opened for 10 days, um, I guess a year and a half ago, and I get 750 queries. So that's, and, and, and I think, I think 250 of them were in the first day because people had been poised for me to reopen. So that's part of the reason, I mean, well, also, I, I just, my list is full. But that's also part of the reason I haven't reopened is that I don't have the time to go through that many queries again. And the thing is, a lot of them were really good. And I told everybody that who had been querying me, I'm like, I'm so sorry if it's taking me a while to get back to you. If they were really terrible, it would be easy. But a lot of these are, are very good. But um, I just, I, I couldn't take that many authors and I had to be aware of and it's not just how good is this it's it's the market as well um and it's do I have something similar already on my list and it's you know there are a lot of things to think about so is there anything else I mean because I know that there's a ton we can talk about but is there anything else before we talk about the writing side of the world but is there anything else from an agency side you think that everybody ought to know um, I think just that we're people, especially from the querying side. I know when you're querying or if you get rejections or anything like that, um, that we're people. And that especially if we take the time to write something personal um, or write something helpful, um, really take that um, to heart, really take that as gold because we're so busy that if we take time to say something, it means that we think that you are close that we're saying something that we think will help you level up and that leveling up will get you there, that we think you can get there, that we think you're close to getting there. Um, and that really, um, because I had an author throw that in my face um, once recently, and um, I was like, wow, you really don't, you really don't get it. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, what did I do that for? If if this person is unwilling to change, if they're unwilling to, you know, because the, the response was basically, well, do you know anyone who would take it as it is? And I'm like, um, wow, okay. Um, I didn't even answer because that's. Yeah. Because, uh, wow. Um, and uh, I, I thought, no. <laughs> I, 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 um, I don't think you're going to get where you need to go because you're unwilling to listen. And maybe, maybe this author will get there, but, um, but then I got a query later, um, uh, from this author that I just, I didn't, I was close to submissions at that point, but, um, I thought if you're not going to listen, then I don't think you're going to listen now. So, um, I think I think listen is one of the other things that I want to say, especially if you get good feedback. Um, I think that's an important thing. Well, one of the things that, and I think this is true, not just in publishing, but across the board. If you're coachable, it makes these kinds of relationships much easier and a lot more productive. Because if you're going to all the work to go find an agent to be your partner, because again, that's that really is one of the things to me that is to to 
have that be a real productive relationship, you've got to have that that real kind of working ability is you've also got to be coachable. You've got to figure out what what feedback you're getting that is helpful and useful for you. And if you're not getting the kind of stuff that works, then you got to figure that out. But again, you got to be coachable. You've got to be able to take advice. There's a lot of people I've worked with that spend a bunch of time and then it's like, well, that's not what I want to do. Great. Go do what you want to do. You asked advice, you know, you, or sometimes wrote me a pretty significant check for coaching um, or guidance or consulting or whatever the case may be. And, you know, as I frequently will tell people, as long as if I'm just there, if you ask for advice, you ask for guidance, ask for an opinion, I will give that to you. Um, and you can do with it as you, as you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they're going to have to work with editors. They're going to have to, you know what I mean? So all along the line, you're going to have to, you know, listen and you don't have to take every suggestion, but you're going to have to be willing to listen. And you're going to have to be willing to change and accept that your work isn't going to be perfect the way that it, you know, just the way that it flows from your fingers. I mean, I, I have said that being a writer is one of the most full contact solitary sports that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, I, I forget who said that, um, you know, you have to be egotistical enough to believe that somebody is going to want your work and love your work and then humble enough to accept feedback, to, to accept revision. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's hard. And there's going to be times when you're like, I suck, my work sucks, I am nothing. And there's going to be times when you're like reading this and you're like, I wrote this, this is the best thing ever. And, you know, and, and you should have both moments. Um, I mean... I think I think writing is a roller coaster ride, and sometimes you're doing the loop to loop. And it feels better when it sucks less enough that you're like, "Wow, I actually okay, that's a good line." Yeah, yeah. So, what about the other side of it? Being a writer. Yeah, I've been writing since I was eleven. Um, I had a teacher. I don't. I don't think I wrote before this teacher. I really think he started it off. His name was Mr. Hart. And he had divided our class into basically writing groups. I think he was just such um, a, he was so focused on writing. And I think he's my fifth grade teacher. And um, he also every day gave us daily writing prompts. And you weren't allowed to stop writing. Your pen had to be on the paper at all times. And it had to be moving. And if you couldn't think of what to say, you had to write nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all, till you could think of something else to say. And um, I really... I liked it. So even when we didn't have a writing prompt or we weren't sent home to finish the story, I was writing stories and that just started it off. It just, it's like a a switch flipped and um, I just started writing. And then we would have an assignment to do a short story and mine would be 25 pages. And then we'd have another assignment and mine turned out to be 111 pages. And I just, um, couldn't stop writing once I started and I just caught the bug ever since. So what was, what was it like getting your first commercial sale? Um, That was interesting because I was uh, about when I, I don't know, I was in my twenties and I didn't want it to seem like I was playing on being an agent at all. So I sent it out under a pseudonym and um and it got picked up by five star um is five star still around it got picked up by five star and it was under the name kit daniels and it was called playing nice it was a rom-com and um it was wonderful and of course they had to know by the time i signed the contract and everything it was really wonderful and um and i loved i loved it it was really it was really great and um and exciting, but I found out it was really hard to promote a book not as myself, um, especially because if I went on authors' boards or anything else, I felt like I was lurking. I felt like uh, weird that there was this agent lurking. You know what I mean? I just, it felt, you know. So um, I went and got an agent because I had done that by myself for the Vamp series. And she's like, well, why don't you just write as yourself? Just do it. And And this was during the time when people were really uh, hard on agents who also wrote like it was the worst thing in the the world because we were um, 
I don't know, taking spots away from writers or, or taking our time away from our authors or whatever, which by the way, I write first thing in the morning, like before agent me is awake. Um, I, because once agent me is awake, I'm, I'm too critical. I have my schedule going in my head. My type A comes into play and forget it. My creative mind is gone. But anyway, um, but it was, it was really, it was a hard time to, to be an agent and a writer. Um, but she convinced me to do it. And then we sold the vamp series to, um, to flux. And, um, and that was, really exciting too because five star was a small press and flex was a bigger press and um and then uh i loved my cover i don't i don't have it sitting right here but and they gave me just a gorgeous cover and um it was really exciting because i i could find my books in barnes and noble then um five star was mainly for the library market and it just it was so exciting to go and do a signing and get to go out to Powell's and sign stock and um, everything. And uh, I don't know, it was just, it was just terribly exciting. And then they wanted a book too. And then they wanted a three and a four. And, um, and I didn't even have an idea for four when I sold it, they bought two books and, and they bought four on, on a, it wasn't even a whisper. It wasn't even a, a, a sentence. They just said, Hey, we want two more books. And I said, okay. Sure, so, um, I, I can yeah. come up with that. Sure. So um, anyway, it was it was really exciting, um, and then I sold the Latter Day Olympian series to um, to uh, they're not around anymore um, to Samane, and uh, and so for a time I was writing two books a year, so I was writing um, one every six months. That was a little bit crazy. So and now I have. Um, well, I guess I'm sort of doing that again because I just wrote a, a young adult suspense that I just turned in to um, to Bella Rosa books. And then I uh, now have a fantasy due for Falstaff books. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, John's waiting. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, what does it look like? I mean, for you, because one of the things that I see a lot of is that notion of what does it mean to, to have the writer's life? Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, the number of conventions and stuff that I do, all the, the trips and everything else. And it's that every, every, with all the number of people I know, that notion of everybody's kind of got their own different path, but the networks that form the friendships that form and the way you, you kind of deal with that. But I don't think most people really know what a writer's day really looks like, you know, well, especially for, like you say, I'm starting in the morning and. Yeah, for me. Um, so the first thing I do is I wake up at five 15 in the morning and I go walking with my girlfriends. We are out of the house by five 45. And we do a four-mile walk, um, except when it's too cold, which it has been recently. Um, so we do a four-mile walk. And by that time, I am wide awake. We do stop at Dunkin', but just for coffee. And um, anyway, so by that time, I have my coffee, and I'm wide awake. And I go back to write. And um, it's probably about 7 o'clock by then. And I'm due up at the office around nine. Um, if I'm really on a roll, maybe I'll get here nine fifteen, something like that. But anyway, so I'm due up at the office around nine ish. So I've got about two hours to write, um, which gets cut into if my dogs need a walk or whatever. But um, so that's that's my writing time right there. And um, I have a four page quota um, for myself. Um, sometimes I can get more done. Um, sometimes not. But um, that's my that's my goal is four pages a day, and uh, sometimes I end up plotting instead. But usually, I plot in the evenings if I can't get it enough done in the morning. But usually, evenings are given to reading my author's manuscripts and things like that. So um, very often I don't. And then the weekends, um, I it de it depends how much work I have to do for my authors because they come first. But um, Week, uh, weekends, I usually have an extra hour to write or something before I start reading my author's stuff. So um, usually I can get another hour in. 
And then I'm reading my author stuff for a few more hours, both days. Um, and then if my husband's lucky, he sees me at night. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we'll take a day off and we'll do something fun. Um, you know, and it does vary. It does vary a little bit. And if the workload allows, you know, sometimes I, I see my husband a little bit more than that. But um, yeah, I kind of am a workaholic. I can empathize just a, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That notion in, in one of the other big things with the different editors I work with and a number of whom I've worked with for a long time, how do you make that relationship work? Because again, my grew up with my mother was, was an English teacher. I grew up underneath the red pen. So I can, you know, red ink looking basically a red page, you know, just, it may as well have been painted. Doesn't hurt my feelings. But well, it might a little bit, but that relationship with some of the editors I've worked with over the years has made so much better work, um, mm -hmm. which is which is what they're there for. Right. But you're not always going to agree because you may say, but I this is the way I want it to go. This is the way I don't. How do you make that relationship work? Um, there have been very few times. I mean. There have been a few things where I'm like, no, I, you know, but um, I don't remember that there have been any big things and I haven't had any big conflicts. Um, every editor I've worked with has made my work stronger, um, really has. Um, and I don't think I've had any big issues with any editors that I've worked with. I, I actually really really appreciate everybody I've worked with. And when I went back to reread, um, cause I thought maybe once I got the rights back, I would re-release um, my Kit Daniels novel under my own name. And I went back to reread it and I went, oh, 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 that's horrible. I'm so horrible, so horrified anybody read it. Um, but I have fans that were like, no, no, I love that novel. But no, I mean, you know, but you always do that with your early work. And, um, uh, but, um, uh, but uh, I forget where I was even going with that. But I but I learned stuff from from, uh, you know, obviously, I feel that I learned stuff from the beginning to where I am now. And um, in fact, when I just finished the book, I just turned in for Bella Rosa. I heard my editor there, um, uh, Rod Hunter. I heard him um, when I was writing in my head. And I feel like every editor you work with, you hear them in your head when you're writing. Um, and and you're like, don't do it that don't do that. Or, you know. Or um, that's a little unclear. And I feel like you get better, um, especially on the line editing something. You know, I feel like I turned into him a cleaner manuscript and a better manuscript than I did last time. And hopefully he'll feel that way too. But I'm sure he's going to catch lots of things that I didn't catch. But that's what he's there for. But I know that's not always true. And I always tell my authors, um, whether it's me or whether it's their editor, you know you can push back. And you know that they're, you know, if you don't agree to, with something... Um, try to see why they felt that way um, and and see if you can come up with a solution, even if it's not the solution they suggested. And if it really doesn't work, then, you know, discuss it. But but see if you can see why they felt the way that they did, because, you know, often there's a point of view there. Yeah. And one of the th I was the reason I was laughing a little bit is I've got some tools and stuff at like macros and stuff I've written over the years that find my regular sins. The ones that if I'm running, if I'm running wide open, I don't commit that often anymore. But if I'm trying to if I'm trying to rush and I'm like, let me get let me get the idea to the paper. There are certain writing sins I will commit every time. And I've got macros that go look for those things. And instead of just highlighting, it'll post a note or post a comment with the various snarky comments I've gotten for some, from some <laughs> of my editors over the years <laughs> so that I can still hear their voices. They go and say, I can't believe you're still doing that. <laughs> my big problem is just. I need to like take out at least a third of the justs. Um, and now I can see them so clearly in my author's manuscripts because I'm so used to taking them out of mine. Mine is than and that, mm -hmm. which 99% of them can go away. And, mm -hmm. and there's a couple of, there's a couple of motions or actions or things like this that I know I overuse a ton, but if I don't have anything better, 
it's it's become shorthand for I need a placeholder for something's going to happen here. Yeah. Um, and so the, I, you make the tools work for you over time, but you still know those comfortable sins you're going to commit at times. But even though you try to get better. Yeah. Usually I'm a really linear writer and I can't write anything until I've written this. You know, I, I write just, um, but I just found with this last manuscript, I, I've left myself a big, write this scene. <laughs> I've never done that to myself before. <laughs> but it was from a conversation that we had. I'm like, oh, do this. And it was from the stuff I learned. And I'm like, well, thanks, past self. That was that was helpful. Yeah, hopefully but I was least- able to write it now, so. Hopefully, I at least blew up some little piece of the manuscript. You were like, well, that's not going to work anymore. <laughs> oh, you did. You did. <laughs> good, good to know. Good to know. I caused mayhem. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that always fasc- fascinates me, there's two things I can't do well that I keep working on. I'm getting better at YA, and I cannot write romance to save my life. Um, but so much YA storytelling is a really good way to learn the fundamentals to me is that because you've got to get the story right, you've got to get the world right. And you can tell a nice fundamental story and why. And that's one of the things I love about so much of it is yes, you can see, you know, yeah, a lot of the time you can see exactly where it's going to go. You can see how things are going to progress, but it's such a beautiful way of telling a story, you know, it, in, and to be able to take and ramp up from there. So how, for you, how does YA work versus writing for adult? Um, so it's got to be much um, more direct, much faster paced. Um, I heard um, uh, Tamora Pierce uh, say once that there's much less navel gazing because they don't have such a past. So there's, there's, you know, um, you're, you're getting right to the point without so much um, backstory and history um, with, with all of the characters. And um, so, so for me, you're, you're getting right into the story. You're getting right to the heart of things. I'll tell you who I studied for writing YA, um, and that is um, R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of what he writes is more middle grade or, or upper middle grade or whatever, but um, I noticed when I would read them out loud to uh, to my daughter that he has got a definite beat. And I, I wish I could remember what the beat was, you know, right now, because it, it's been a while since I was reading my daughter. But it is a beat and it is fast and he ends everything on a cliffhanger. And it is um, and it is it is just so driven, you know, and um, and it is clean and it is concise and it's it's a little cleaner than I write and it's a little cleaner than you would write for YA because again it's middle grade, um, but it is just very um, clean and relentless and it just moves and it moves and it moves and it moves. And to me, of course, I write suspense for young adult, but that's to me what it is. It just moves and it moves and it moves. And um, and. I, I really enjoy that everything is very is very clean, and also that for writing for young adult because it's that time in their life where there are a lot of, of a lot of first and everything is very immediate. It's, everything is almost like a raw nerve because it is just immediate. Every every romance is like the romance, and every. Um, Every hurt is like a gaping wound and everything. So I, I enjoy that, um, that everything is so at the surface um, and that, and it's raw and it's real because of how raw and real it is to them. And I can remember that um, feeling and tap into that when I'm writing it. Uh, very easily and I can also tap into it and remember it very easily because it wasn't that long ago that my daughter was there and um and because not because I don't want to hurt because you've got to put your teens in danger but you've got to give them that the agency to get them out themselves out of it and there's also something very special to me because people ask me, have asked me, how can you put 
these kids in danger? How can you write murder mysteries involving kids or whatever? And I'm like, well, to me, it's it. That's not the part that it's it's that they get themselves out of it. It's that they it's that they have the agency to solve things um, and not rely on us adults because that is the whole thing about young adult is that you can't trust the adults, and that's the whole thing because um, if you look at any young adult, um, it's it's subversive and part of that is that they're not telling us um, and part of that is because we don't trust them we don't believe them we don't listen to them and so why should they listen to us and why should they tell us so i don't know i guess that's the secret to me well and that that actually goes to me kind of the the real power of writing fiction and the real benefit of it is that notion you get to experience other lives, other ways, you know, other, you get to see that, that aspect of somebody else's experience and you get to, to go through and visit emotion, visit all of that in, in, in that world when it's well-written. And I think that that's one of the things when I have, you know, when, when going through some of the why it is that, it's moving quickly, but it's also that nature of you don't have all those mistakes sitting there underneath you to go and dump, you know, make you doubt yourself. It's that it's that sort of still you can go back to sometimes reckless abandon, but also that being ready to plow forward. And I think that's one of those things that that's one of the big benefits. So I'll kind of hit you with one last sort of question that ties off of that. For readers, for fans, for everybody out there, what is it about the power of story that for you is important? It's transformative. Um, I really think that stories have the power to transform the way that we think um, and feel. Um, sometimes it's just for the period of that story but more often it's for longer um i've had books hit me where i i'm so i care so much for the for the characters that i especially when i was younger or i'd be nauseous my stomach would be in knots and i'd be nauseous and i'd have to put the, put the book down just for a minute because i was so tied up with the characters or where i couldn't sleep until i knew they were safe or i couldn't sleep at all until the book was over or so, you know, they have the power to affect us physically and emotionally and um, and everything. They have the power to take us to different worlds. Um, they have just such power. And I don't think anything has that power. Television doesn't have that power. I mean, we, we watch it and then we turn it off. I mean, we might binge a show, but by the time the show is over, it might have, you know, yeah, it, we might have enjoyed it and we might, it might make us think. But um it just, it didn't have that same power to grip us and to, we because we didn't get to live it with our own imagination. We did, it didn't have the same power to engage us in a way that we interacted with us, be, it, with it because we made the movie in our own heads. And so we were part of the art in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I usually refer to it as kind of that co-creation experience. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think, I really think books are, um, are magic. I mean, I, I think that's why I, I can't ever see doing anything else than being in publishing. I mean, I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I got to do this, that I still get to do this as my job. Well, I appreciate you joining me this evening. Um, but before I let you out of here, Let's know people, or let's make sure everybody knows where to find you and your magic. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Well, I'm at uh, luciandiver.com. Um, pretty much, you can find me just as Lucian Diver anywhere you look. And then um, the night agency is night with a K, nightagency.net. So, luciandiver.com and nightagency.net. Well, I do appreciate you hopping on and having a fun conversation. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. And it was good to talk to you. Absolutely. And until next week, this is Grady Prose.